you take your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'll remind you while you're turning there, remind you of uh, the series that we find ourselves in today and then wrapping it up next Sunday as we look at these hidden figures in the genealogy of Jesus as it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 1. These are people who are in the narrative of Jesus' life, the family tree of Jesus, but they are oftentimes behind the scenes. In fact, these are five women that form the family tree of Jesus, and from the world's perspective, there's not a whole lot about them that uh, is deemed worth writing about from a secular world perspective. However, from God's perspective, these women are critical and they are crucial to the story of Jesus coming to earth, to the incarnation. Without these women, the family line of Jesus as we know it is not possible. Now today we're going to look at the only woman in Jesus' family tree who is not referred by her actual name in Matthew's genealogy. When Matthew introduces to us the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 1, he mentions that David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, we know from looking at other places in Scripture that the wife of Uriah did indeed have a name. Her name was Bathsheba. So, why was Bathsheba not mentioned by name? Well, Bathsheba in Matthew's genealogy is listed as the wife of Uriah because Matthew wants to make sure that we know that despite having a child with David, she was not known as David's wife. Now, notice the title of this message today is A Victorious Victim. You see, the narrative of David and Bathsheba is often read from the perspective of diagnosing the seriousness of sin and its consequences. That is definitely a fair treatment of this narrative. The emphasis is usually placed on David and is viewed from his perspective. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's a fair perspective to have of this text. However, an often overlooked emphasis or perspective is that of Bathsheba. And seeing this narrative from her perspective is just as important as it is in seeing this narrative from the perspective of David or from the bigger perspective of dissecting sin. Now, I have come to a specific conclusion about Bathsheba's life, and it's not one that every single person shares. However, it is one in which many scholars do indeed share, and I'll tell you up front, it is a heavy conclusion. This is going to be a very heavy sermon. I don't know that there'll be much uh, uh, humor or one-liners that are really funny in this sermon. I know some of you are going, there never are uh, any one-liners that are funny. And by some of you, I mean my children. Uh, 
in that. But uh, this, this, is a, this is a heavy narrative. It's, it's going to be a, a heavy uh, message. And you'll see that conclusion. You'll see why I reach it as we move along. In a nutshell, here it is. Bathsheba's story is the story of a woman who was a victim. But despite her victimization, despite the circumstances that caused her to be a victim, she was also victorious in her life. That is, God redeemed her situation, and what was meant as evil against her, God used it for good by using her place in the family of God to bring Jesus into this world. Let's jump into our text, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Look at the first couple of verses. In the spring of that year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. David is the king, but instead of out fighting, he is at home on the couch, and then he aimlessly paces his rooftop porch. Look, when you sit around doing nothing, your mind begins to have the chance to wonder. And instead of being where he should have been, instead of fulfilling his God-given role and purpose as king, David stayed behind. All Bathsheba was doing was taking a bath. You see, most homes in that region at that time had a walled courtyard where they would go and they would cook their meals. They would rest in that walled courtyard. They would bathe in that walled courtyard. Those courtyards had no roofs, but they were pretty much private. In fact, the only way that you could see into someone else's rooftop courtyard was if your roof was higher than theirs and you were looking down. Well, David's the king. David has built his palace in one of the highest points in the land, and he is up on top of the roof. There's, I mean, the scripture doesn't tell us this, but there's no doubt in my mind, he's probably seen many people taking a bath from his perch position, and nothing ever came up before. But this time, because David wasn't where he was supposed to be physically, mentally, spiritually, this time is different. Verse 3. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one sent, excuse me, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The messenger acts with more integrity than the king. The messenger says, This is Bathsheba. She is someone's daughter, she is also someone else's wife. And she's not, it's not just anyone or any someone else. Her daddy's name is Eliam. Her husband's name is Uriah. Catch this. If you read the other portions of Samuel, you'll see that David had a small group of men who were his closest allies. They were his loyalists. They would die for him. And that circle of mighty men, there were two men in that, many men in that circle, but two of the men in that circle, one man was named Eliam, the other was named Uriah. Bathsheba's father and her husband 
are some of David's closest allies. Bathsheba is out of bounds. She is off limits. She is the daughter of one of his closest allies, the wife of another. Nothing good is going to come out of this. Here's your key verses in helping me understand Bathsheba's life, verses 4 and 5. So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Notice that it doesn't say they slept together. But it says that the messengers of the king took her and that David lay with her. It doesn't say that she stayed for drinks afterwards. Instead, after it was over, David sent her on back home. David said, go ahead and leave. Go back to your house. I have reached the conclusion that Bathsheba is a victim. Bathsheba was victimized in this moment. She was abused and she was used. David's power as king is practically absolute. What he wanted, he got. What he demanded, he received. You say, well, David, wasn't he a man for God's own heart? He certainly was, but he was also a man who had a very sinful heart. He just had an affair with a married woman, and you're going to see in a minute, he's about to have her husband killed. He's not the poster boy at this moment of what it means to chase after and pursue God. And and Bathsheba has two choices. When the messenger comes to her, Bathsheba can either go with the messenger and do what the king says do, or she can refuse the king's command. I'll give you one guess as to what could be a punishment. I'm not saying it would have been, but if you defied the king's command in this culture, do you know what could have happened to you? You're dead. Bathsheba is in a corner And she is powerless in this moment. She is treated as a commodity. She's powerless to change her circumstances. Furthermore, David is about to hatch a plot to take out her husband. And I don't know that she's aware of it. But even if she is aware of it, she has absolutely nothing to to, to do to stop it. David, realizing that he is now going to have a child with this woman, says, I've got to cover this up. And so he tells Uriah, hey, Uriah, come off the fighting line. Go home and take it easy. Go home and, and, and spend some time with your wife. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Go ahead and just take a day off and enjoy the night at home. Uriah goes out and he camps out at the door of the palace. For Uriah said, it's not right that I should go home while our brothers are out fighting for the king. David realizes this doesn't work. And so David says, I know, I'll get him drunk. And David gets him drunk. And David thinks, I'll get him drunk. He'll go home. He'll sleep with Bathsheba. The problem is solved. Uriah doesn't. He has more integrity than even David. And so now David hatches this plan in chapter 11, verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. And he put this letter, he sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting and then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. 
And as Joab was beseeching the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Do you understand what's happening? Uriah takes his own death warrant with him, unbeknownst to him of the contents it contained. And Uriah is put in the front line to make sure he is killed. Verse 26 says that when the wife of Uriah, there's that phrase again, the wife of Uriah, when Bathsheba heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead. She lamented over her husband. Her victimization continues as she mourns the death of her beloved, and she watches David get away with this plan. How now is Bathsheba going to make it? Who is going to support her now that her husband is dead? For you see, widows did not receive military pension. Widows did not receive life insurance. And we don't know of anyone who is close enough to her to take care of her in her family. And so verse 27 tells us that when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son to make this situation even more icky. That's a biblical Hebrew word, icky. <laughs> David appears to come to the rescue. Poor Bathsheba, in marches David. I'll take her to be my wife. I'll bring her into the palace. I'll raise this child that everybody thinks is Uriah's. I will take care of her because in reality, his sins are currently under wraps and, and he ends up with the beautiful Bathsheba as his wife. Her pain intensifies. Let me, let me tell you what happens that we're not going to read for time's sake, but what happens further down her story is as she moves along in this presence, Pregnancy, a prophet comes to David, a prophet named Nathan, and Nathan says, David, you have sinned. The thing you've done, as our verse tells us, has displeased the Lord. And David, as a consequence of this sin, this baby is going to die. Not Bathsheba's sin, but David's sin. That baby is born. Seven days later, that baby dies. Bathsheba's baby is dead because of what David has done. Understand this woman's situation. She has been used and abused, taken for granted, no doubt wondering how all of this fits into God's plan. Have you been there? Can you relate? Some of you know what it's like to have a Bathsheba-like experience. You've been victimized at the hands of those who were neglecting their duty. You've been taken for granted by someone who already had more than enough. You've been in a situation that you were absolutely powerless to change. You've been treated unjustly by those who had the power to do something about it. So, pastor, where is our good news? Don't miss God's response at the end of verse 27. 
But the thing that David had done, his using and abusing Bathsheba, his victimizing her, arranging her husband's death, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Don't miss God's reaction to Bathsheba's situation. God was not setting back, dismissing the actions against Bathsheba. Rather, God was displeased. God was angry. And God, this is important, God's reaction is key in helping us understand how we apply this passage and this message to our lives. We are being called to see that the best place for any victim is in the family of God. We are being called to see that no matter what anyone else does to us, they will never be able to prevent us from being a significant part of God's plan. We are being called to see that God wants to give hope to those who feel like they are in a hopeless situation. Look at Bathsheba, a victim, hurt, abused, and used, yet this Matthew chapter 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Even the genealogy recognizes her pain. She's not identified as Bathsheba. She's not identified as the wife of David. She has been identified as the wife of Uriah the Hittite. She's not supposed to be here. She wasn't looking for a place with a king. Her life was stolen from her. Yet God, in his grace, gave her a wonderful new place in his plan. And God, in his grace sends a message through her to everyone who has ever been used, abused, and victimized. You today may feel like an outsider brought in against your will. You may feel as if your life has been stolen. You may feel that life will never be the same. But hear me this morning, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what is happening to you, no matter what will happen to you, you can always have a place in the family of God, and God will never let you down. It was through Bathsheba and others that Jesus came, and Jesus had a message of hope for anyone who has a sense of hopelessness. For the victims of this world, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. For you see, like Bathsheba, Jesus was abused and treated as a dispensable commodity. That's like Bathsheba. Jesus experienced the plotting of men who wanted him dead. Jesus was treated unjustly by those who had the power to do something about the situation. Jesus was a victim of religious men who were neglecting their duty. And all of those people thought they had won. 
Until that Sunday when all that could be found of Jesus was an empty tomb and some empty burial cloths. (laughs) Here's how I'm going to close. Just by asking a couple of simple questions. Have you been let down? Have you been hurt? Are you a victim? Have you like Bathsheba, been used and abused? Have you been treated unjustly? If you have seen that in your life, I simply ask you to also see Jesus today because he is the one who is gently reaching out to include you in his family. There's not a single one of us that are so far outside of God's reach that His grace cannot be our experience. If there's never been a time in your life when you've received that grace, if there's never been a time in your life when you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, let today be that day. There are no magic words that you say. There's no uh, magic chant that you offer. You simply cry out to God. We call it prayer. You, you call out to God and, and you confess your sins to God and, and God sees the desire of your heart to change and to repent of those sins and you receive the gift that Jesus is offering you today. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does that mean that all your problems are fixed? Absolutely not. In fact, I think you'll find throughout history that those who follow Jesus most closely are those who suffer most deeply. But I will tell you that it puts hope in your heart that transcends your circumstances. And it puts the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life who will work in your life just as he worked in the life of Bathsheba. And he'll make something good come out of that which Satan meant for evil. Would you surrender your life to him today right where you are? Just pray to God. Surrender. We're going to take 30 seconds to you just do business with God. Whatever God's placing upon your heart, to ask him to help you, to ask him to save you, to ask him to empower you to do what you need to do. In this next 30 seconds of our invitation, would you simply do what God asks you to do? Thank you. To our guests, I want to let you know that we're certainly thankful that you came to worship with us today. 
to our home folk, it's always a joy to see you. If there is a decision that you need to make, the next step that you need to take, uh, we would love to come alongside you as you take that step. You can complete the yellow next step card that's in the pew in front of you. I'll be out here masked up and hand sanitized at the next step desk. If you uh, have made your decision, I'd love to know what that decision is. I'd also love to meet our first time guest. If we haven't met, I'd love the chance to say hello to you. I hope that you